Can learning transform your life? This is Impact Learning with Maria Zinedou, a podcast where you will hear personal stories about how we learn, work, and live in the connection economy. Together with her guests, she will teach you to design your learning journey and create the life you want. On today's episode... There is learning and connection and communication that happens well beyond, well outside organizations that needs to be, I think, articulated and understood. And so if I can do something that makes what happens within the communities um, understandable, measurable, then I would be happy with that. Hey, it's Maria, and you are listening to Impact Learning. Today I speak with Tanya Marian. Tanya is a freelance botanical educator and the host of the podcast Alatera. Throughout her career, she has created illustrations and shared resources on her website and in person to make plant science more accessible to a larger number of people. As a bookstore owner for many years, she connected communities around their shared love for plants, nature, and learning. During her sabbatical year, she immersed herself in peer learning workshops created by Seth Godin, including the old MBA, the marketing seminar, and the podcasting fellowship. She started the Freelance Condition Project in 2018 to bring the spotlight on freelance environmental educators who are making learning happen in their communities. In January of 2019, she launched the podcast Talatera, a platform where she shares their stories and helps them build an intimate community. Through her current work, Tanya wants to put freelance educators on the map by sharing their work that is mostly under the radar. Together we unpack her learning journey, the small triggers and the forks in the road that led her down her current path. Let's jump right in. Hello, Tanya. Welcome to Impact Learning. Hello. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. So, Tanya, where were you born? I was born in Southern California. And is this where you've been basically raised? Uh, yes. I'm born and raised uh, in California. And uh, what's your favorite uh, childhood memory? I have a... Probably a couple. I played in the backyard a lot. Uh, we had a we had tall eucalyptus trees in the backyard, and they were chopped down because they were a hazard. And I, you know, when you're small, a trunk, the trunks of these big trees are you know bigger than what they would appear <laughs> as now as an adult. But they were big back then. You know, big enough to climb onto, and to climb into. You know, into the space between the main trunks, and I spent a lot of time outside with the dogs, and yeah, that and listening to my well, when I was even younger than that, listening to my Winnie the Pooh album. I had a a um, large LP, you know, that was also a book, yeah, you know, back then, and it was um, about Pooh, and you know. And everyone from the Hundred Acre Woods going on an expedition, and I listened to that album a lot, and and that is actually how I learned how to spell expedition, uh, because you know of course there was a sign, that, you know they misspelled it in the story, you know because what's what you'd expect from the residents from the Hundred Acre Woods, <laughs> you know that they might misspell a word that big, and so it was misspelled in the in the story of course, and. Um, and this is how I learned how to spell it. And every to this day, every time I write that word, I think of that album. Uh, what was your relationship with learning when you were a child? I used to play school a lot. I had a chalkboard, a magnetic chalkboard, 
Uh, back this is in the 70s right and so uh you know with magnetic letters and we had a a long time family friend who would come over in and he was an adult a friend you know of my folks but i would play school with him he would be my you know my, would be a one student classroom <laughs> and he was very patient and um i played school with him a lot but uh you know, with the chalkboard when he would come over to visit for a little bit. But otherwise, I would play school. And always, I'm always writing on paper, writing lessons or, or whatever. That was just my thing. I like to play teacher. Okay, so <laughs> when you say play school, you mean you were the teacher? Yes, I was the teacher. <laughs> okay, interesting. <laughs> Moving <Yeah>. my <laughs> magnetic letters on my board around and stuff like that. Okay, very very interesting. I like that. And But <laughs> how did you learn the things that you wanted to teach others? Was it through school or through, you know, your parents or other ways you were learning them on your own? Um, through school and also on my own. My dad used to bring home scrap pieces of paper from his work. And, um, and sometimes they'd be large pieces, you know, of computer paper, the way computer paper was back then. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all these discarded things. And then I would just... I would write on them, uh, write and draw, and um, uh, you know that's a good question. Uh, I had to have been influenced from school, in in one aspect. Uh, the rest of it, I don't know where it came from. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, what did you like when you started school? What did you like about being in school? I like I like learning. I like reading. Uh, in grade school, I don't really remember what I was most drawn to. But in later on in school, in uh, junior high, high school, college, it's definitely definitely learning. I'm was always I spent a lot of time with my homework. That was I you know call it call me what you want, but it was that was my my refuge, you know, I mean, I liked learning and reading and it was, that's just who I am. And that's just how I was and how I am today. Mm-hmm. And by that, you mean like you would go back home and start doing your homework and basically spend a lot of time, right? Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. And come test time, I would, I would write my own exams and then, and they were always essay exams so that I would have to you know, write things, write things out. And I would write it up, write my exam up a couple days before the exam. And then I would hide it in my desk. And then I'd spend some more time preparing for my exam. And then the night before the exam, I would take out my own test, the test that I made, and take it. And if I could answer all of my own essay questions, then I knew I was ready. Um, what did you study in uh, the university or college? Biology. I was a, a biology major. So my background was organismal biology, the botanies and the zoos, zoologies, ecologies, that type of thing. And when did you decide that this is what you wanted to study? Well, it was going to, biology in general was my was my interest and and actually in high school I had a physiology teacher who was a very good physiology teacher really nice man and I left high school thinking I was going to be a lab tech you know and work in a lab and do that type of thing and then I went to the community college and I enrolled in biology and had absolutely wonderful professor there and I I shifted my focus shifted to to the other kind of biology the you know the org- organismal biology and environment botany I mean it was just um, you know he's the teacher who I have and who I still speak with and communicate with it was he's an excellent storyteller and he helped his way of teaching makes really easy to understand big picture perspective. And so he influenced me a lot back then and and still to this to this day because what I 
do now my my interest in um, in out of school learning or my interest in interpretation in interpretive type programs and experiences you know started back then. You also have a master's degree in biology and student learning. And then later on, I think a professional certificate in free choice learning. So now how do we go or how do you go from biology to learning and free choice learning? Could you talk to us about it? Mm-hmm. Yes, I went to grad school and my initial project was a pollination ecology project and involved training bees and seeing how they bring information back to the hive and all that. Well, my bees, um, my bees had problems and they, <laughs> uh, um, and I had a whole bunch numbered and, but they eventually kind of, uh, you know, died out and it just, it just wasn't working. And so I switched projects. There was um, another professor there and, you know, I'm also interested in learning anyway. And so talked started talking with him and switched projects. And my project is an interdisciplinary project because it was focused on adult learning. And um, it was a project that at the time didn't quite fit under the umbrella of a, you know, a traditional biology type, mm -hmm. uh, you know, master's project. And it wasn't K-12. And so it was adult. And so his decision was, well, let's try this and do this as an interdisciplinary studies project. And uh, he helped form the committee. And on my committee, I had him, he was, who was a biology teacher, but his, his activity was very much teaching and learning. That was his focus. And I had uh, people from the, I had faculty from the uh, reading department and from K-12, the science teaching Mm -hmm. And also um, someone from the the analytical studies department on campus. And so, you know, it was a mix, a really nice mix of people from different areas on campus. And so it was approved as an interdisciplinary studies project. And my project was to design a support course for the introductory biology course for majors which at the time had been in existence for seven years and had a DF rate of 40%. And it never had a lab associated with it. And so it was a, you know, the question effectively now, you know, was, you know, what if there was a support course? You know, what would it look like? What would work? And that was my project. Mm -hmm. And now you mentioned DF. What is DF? Oh, sorry. A D, a, a, sorry, grades of D, D and F. You oh. know, it was really high failure rate. I'm sorry. Ah, yes. th no, okay. So, so mm -hmm. it was not basically effective, let's say. It was not yes, a very effective course. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And was that now for uh, like students K-12 or was it for adult kind of training? Oh, no. That was for the introductory biology course at the university, at, oh. at the school where I, I was. And so the people who took the support course that I uh, created for that year, you know, would, would opt in. You know, they could take it or not take it. So they were a self-selected sample. Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what my project was about. And uh, what did you do after you finished your master's degree? Uh, well, I wanted to teach. Now, I think my, what I really wanted to do was teach at the community college. Because that's where I had the really uh, outstanding, you know, my own educational experience. And so I wanted to do that. And so I worked as adjunct faculty at uh, two community colleges. But then after a while, uh, I became frustrated with only having semester-long contracts mm -hmm. and having to piece together work and driving between campuses. And so I became a grumpy adjunct. And then I, mm. I knew I couldn't work that way. I didn't want to be that way inside the classroom. And so I stopped doing that. And is this when you decided to become basically a freelance educator? Mm, yes. Uh, well, that wasn't a conscious decision. I took some time off. And then for a short while, I explored all my other 
other interests, all of my other pent-up interests that weren't explored. And so I dove deep into uh, the cooking school, uh, which they had uh, classes for the home chef, which uh, mimicked or which mirrored the uh, professional program for the professional chefs. And that was good fun. I mean, I did that a lot. And I'm glad I did that. And but then after that, let's see, my mom said, you know, hey, there's this course at the Arboretum. It is, you know, it's a botanical illustration course. You want to take it. I've always you know, seen it there. I said, yeah, okay, whatever, I'll take it. And so I took it with her. And then things just, it just clicked. And then all of a sudden, I became aware of what I already had around me that was that was related to botanical illustration and, and science illustration, you know, a book about women illustrators and things that I had on the wall, prints from the wall. Okay. So they're from the, uh, you know, then it was, there was a store called Stroud's, you know, it's kind of like a bed, bath and beyond type store, you know, prints, prints and stuff like that on the wall. Mm-hmm. And, um, that, and things that I would naturally gravitate to during winter break and, and, you know, summer breaks and all that. And, and then I just took it from there. And out of that came my previous endeavor, which was an educational website uh, that involved uh, learning about plants and using drawing as a learning tool to learn about plants. Yeah, and that that was the moment where I became truly active, independent educator. And how would you define the kind of work you were doing? Was it learning related, plant related? How would you describe what you were doing at that time? It started as an artist's herbarium. It was learning. It was learning related and and plant related. It started as an herbarium because I had observed in the classes that I was taking that uh, people could capture plants, you know, eloquently on paper. They're just beautiful. Uh, but they weren't always aware of the parts that they were d- drawing and, you know, the names of the parts. And, you know, and I just shrugged it off for for a while because, you know, not, not everybody knows. And so it was fine and just went along. And then a, one day in one of the classes, I heard stamen, which is the male reproductive part of the plant. I heard stamen called these thingies one too many times. And I said, okay, I can fix this. I know how to fix this. And that's how I launched into the artist herbarium and that idea. And that's how my original website started. But then after that, it developed into a a uh, what started as a gathering place for botanical illustrators became a place for artists, naturalists, and educators. And anyone who was pursuing interest related to uh, botany, botanical art, uh, environmental education, natural resource education, and, and who themselves was using art as a learning tool in their programs. And so for that resource, I interviewed special guests who were either, you know, themselves, you know, authors or artists, naturalists and, and teachers, and would had a special guest um, once a monthly guest, a special guest each month, and set up, you know, an opportunity, a Q&A opportunity so that readers could learn from, from the guests. And then also at the same time, I had a bookstore related to the website that complemented the website. And with the store, I went to educational events, garden shows, um, some book festivals, and it was very much a curated, a curated collection of uh, of plant books, uh, but all really books related to using art and drawing as a as a learning tool to learn about plants. And that's what I did for a while. You said you had the website and you were creating content that, you know, the illustrators and everybody who was interested could, uh, could find. And then you also had the bookstore. How would you, how would you find, I guess, the, the people that you were seeking to serve or the students? Or, and how did they find you? I started out with, as a member of the community of botanical artists and uh, through memberships through the American Society of Botanical Artists and the Guild of Natural Science Illustrators. And, and so I started there. And actually, 
if I come back up just a little bit, before I launched my website, what I would, had done before then was I had started a newsletter for the local chapter of botanical artists in California. And already there, I was, already, I had in, was interviewing people for that newsletter and, and developing that newsletter. And so really, once I, when I started my website and as it started to grow, it was really just transferring all those, what I was already doing to a new platform and to a you know, slightly um, a different audience. Let's see. And how would I bring attention to, to what I was doing? <laughs> Uh, I had a lot of energy back then, and I was <laughs> very confident, and <laughs> and I would reach out to all sorts of people, and and that is how that all that just developed, and it and it grew and grew and grew, and I do some I do some of that still today, especially when I uh, reach out when I review someone's research, uh, yeah. talk about a research paper, I will mm -hmm. contact the principal investigator and say, you know, I, I read your paper, you know, I shared your paper, you know, with my audience and this, that, and if, you know, and I would send a link to my review because I was writing a teaching and learning column for my, my previous website and send them a link to that. And then sometimes they respond back. Sometimes they'd share more, more of their work with me. So you were, I guess you were finding the community or you were also creating some of this community. Y yes. I was creating it, finding it. And then and then also there was, you know, some folks would tell other people mm -hmm. about the website and it, and it grew that way as well. And, um, and also, you know, when I did events with the store, I always had a, a, fly, a flyer, some type of takeaway item about current news from the website, you know, and, you know, information for teachers, you know, one, one side was always dedicated towards information for teachers. And, and I would hand that out at environmental ed events and things like that. And so, and, and teachers are always, always interested. And so they would take the flyers. And so that's one of the things that I, that I did. Mm -hmm. And for how long did you do this kind of work? Overall, from beginning to end, it was 16 years. And what was the biggest learning for you? in this kind of work? You know, what's, what's your learning about uh, the, the students and the teachers that you were serving, uh, about their needs or how their needs changed over time? Because you've done this for quite a long time. Yes, yes. Um, there is a need for plant-based education and there is an interest in finding a way to um, tell the story about plants, introduce the topic of plants without uh, the usual, I'm going to say, boring approach of lecturing about plants. You know, animals are easier to talk about and plants are not so easy to talk about, unfortunately. And so the people in my audience at the, at the time, they were, very, they were interested in learning about how uh, other people work with plants, how they use drawing in their programs or in their classrooms. And then the teachers are also appreciative of having uh, resources curated, having resources being shared with them, you know, things that were easily transferable and things that they could do and use in their classroom. So to get to your question, what I've learned is that Making a topic like that easy <laughs> to understand is <laughs> is a good thing. I think resource educational resources, uh, like the teaching and learning column and sharing resources. I think that's the best way to do it. Everybody likes books, but books um, are expensive, and I don't think that works as well as having a conversation with teachers and sharing resources and, and, you know, and having this generous dialogue with them. And so the long way to answer your question is that I think a generous dialogue and sharing of resources is what is probably my biggest takeaway from that, uh, that, it, that it works. And you did that a lot, I guess, through the content creation, the resources you were sharing, whether it was your website or in-person events. And you were basically sharing resources and also communicating with people. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Very good. 
um, what uh, prompted you to, you, you took a sabbatical year in 2018, mm-hmm. which is uh, interesting because I also took a sabbatical year and uh, I unlearned a lot of things and then had to learn the new things that I was interested in. <laughs> um, like, did you just say, I'm going to stop now and then I'm going to go, I'm going to take a sabbatical year, so I'm going to do this and that? How did this come about? I, I was ready for change. I knew that my previous endeavor was, had been played out and I, it, was, it was done. And I actually knew that back in 2015. And in 2015, I had, I was starting to explore already how to move things forward or how to find something else. And really in 2015, I was more focused on how to fix what I had. This is really was where I was. And I, and I noticed uh, one day in an email from the Office of Economic Development, there was going to be a program that was being taught by, or taught through, you know, Michael Gerber, who was the author of the e-books, the e-myth books, and with small businesses in my city. And so I said, oh, I'm going to do that. And so I did that. And that was very, that was very helpful. And then if you went through that program, you had the opportunity to work with him in another program and with work with him one-on-one. And so I did that as well. And actually, the, the freelance concept came out of that experience. Uh, although it was with a, a different context and it wasn't, you know, the context that I'm working in now. What was, uh, for, the, for the listeners who are not familiar with, uh, with him, what was his, uh, I guess, specialty and what kind of program did you attend? Michael's specialty is uh, creating enterprises, specifically systems building. And the program was a uh, to teach this through his coaches to the small business owners within my my city. And so that that was really a unique opportunity. How long did this last, Tanya? Because always like a change, you know, changing from what we were doing to something new and creating a new way forward takes time. So how long did all this that you talk about now last? It lasted until uh, probably, well, until the middle of... It was June 2016 is, is when, it, when it ended. So it was roughly almost a year and a half, you know, excluding holidays, time and all that. But, I, you know, I was in a, in a dip is what I would call it now, now that I have the terminology and know how to call it for what it was. And, you know, I, I was just also very focused on trying to save what I had or change it up some. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really ready to let it go. Well, I finally let it go uh, at the end of 2017. And then, you know, the January 2018, of course, I launched into the Alt-MBA. That was the beginning of my sabbatical year. And just uh, weeks before that, that all that started, I officially shut down paperwork and all my previous venture. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I wanted to, and that was intentional to get all my stuff ready and to shut it down so that I truly had let it go before starting the Mm -hmm. Alt-MBA. Before we go into the Alt-MBA, I I wanna, I picked up a couple of things uh, that I Mm -hmm. want to to see if that's part of your learning. So I remember your mom suggested a, a course that you could take together and then you did that. Then when you were doing, when you were reflecting on, you know, doing something different while you were still trying to, I guess, continue with your work, you took the course with Michael and then you started exploring very different things, but you were learning and also working with someone else who could help you. And uh, later on, before the old MBA, you chose to do the old MBA. So is this, I guess, taking courses or learning from others or working with someone else? Is this part of how you learn and then decide what to do next with your work and your learning? Am I seeing that right? Um, yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I had been dropping in and out on the Alt-MBA website for a while before I actually signed up. And, you know, my first impressions were that I was too small to take it, you know, I wasn't the 
big company. I wasn't, you know, uh, and that that's the impression that I had. But I kept dropping in and out on the website. And I was on the mailing list. And at that time, I had already taken the Seth's Udemy course, the freelancer course, mm-hmm. you know. And so I already knew about, about Seth. And so... You know, I didn't. I didn't take the Alta MBA because I didn't think I'd qualify. You know, or I was too small. It was just one person, and so I let it go, let it go, let it go. And then I felt, you know, you know, just do it, just apply and do it. And I did. <laughs> but but that was very different now workshop compared to the other ones that they were more specific to, I guess, your your area of interest. What trigger? What intrigued you to, I guess, take a more of a leadership? And of course, like like uh, what the old MBA is, I felt that that was an area where I was lacking, and I didn't have that type of experience. In hindsight, I can now identify activities that I've had in the past where I did have that role, but I didn't recognize it then, and I wouldn't have called it that then, but I recognize it now. But, you know, there was just something about the program that, that I saw myself in it and, and really wanted to take it. And I dropped in on that website so many times that I finally just took it. Very good. And what happens next? That was a big learning experience and transformational experience, I can imagine. And what happens next? Oh, I just learned wonderful things in that program. And then after that came you know, all the rest, the, the marketing seminar, the bootstrappers workshop, you know, and the podcasting fellowship and, and, uh, you know, also the, you know, the, the freelancers workshop. And last year, it was a great sabbatical year. It was just all in learning, all in learning with people from different industries. It was, you know, all the writing and all the that we do in mm-hmm. in uh, Seth's programs and the talking and the helping and that you know the teaching that everyone does um, yeah I don't know I I can't tell you that was just uh, it's been phenomenal and you know a change in posture a change in how I see the world and uh, I can't even begin to explain it and it was just wonderful Mm-hmm. And it's just launched, it's just a whole new world now. <laughs> Before we go into how all this, I guess, sabbatical and learning experience led you to your current project, I want to ask a question that I, I know many, many people ask. So there, are, there is an abundance of uh, courses and resources that we can learn from, um, free content, you know, online workshops. There are so many different things. How do you decide? which one or which ones are good or the right ones for you? How did you make your decisions? I look for how many empty sentences there are in the copy promoting a particular mm-hmm. <laughs> a particular program. Uh, you know, what is empty to me? What rings empty to my ear anyway? C- you know, cliches, clatch, catch phrases. Uh, I don't know. And it's just an overall feeling that I get. It's just a kind of a gut feeling. Mm-hmm. And Tanya, would you say that, uh, again, we are in a, in an era that there is so much available information and, and uh, knowledge we can learn from. But uh, would you say that is uh, a lot of that probably does not serve us very well and it's hard to find what really has uh, good value for us? Is this what you are saying? I don't think, I don't want to say that it doesn't serve us well. I think that we need to be careful, or at least I'm careful about what I choose. And I also, like I said, I listen, I listen to my gut and I, uh, without, now, now I know, now I can articulate that I look for something where I see myself in. Otherwise, it's really just, it's, it's a gut feeling or it's something that I, if it, it addresses something that I know I've always wanted to do, needed to do, or there's a part of me that I've, you know, uh, always ignored or silenced, but, you know, I will, but that appeals to me, or then I will take that. But I'm also very, very careful about what I choose. 
And, and I'd also look for um, the program's history. And there's also testimonials and where mentions of this, of a particular program show up. And so it's kind of like a, I guess a thorough background check or as thorough as I can, can make it. Very good. Thank you for explaining that. So today you have uh, launched the Freelance Condition Project mm-hmm. and you are investigating the contributions that uh, freelance educators like yourself make to lifelong learning communities. Tell us a little bit more about that project. Well, for all the time that I had my previous endeavor, I would work at uh, community events and I would meet other people who were also independent and um, I'd long wondered about who you know what they what they did how they got started and you know in a setting like that when everybody's busy working you know there isn't any time to to speak with them and then you don't always see them at other events sometimes there you you end up doing the same like annual event and so it's another year before you you know you cross paths with them again and but I began wondering who you know who are these people and why are they doing what they're doing and what is it that they're doing exactly you know I can see from a distance get a feel for some idea about what they're doing with the folks who the visitors who come to their booths and get a feel for the kind of topics that they might be talking about, but really, what are they doing? And how long have they been doing it? And where do they do it? And so I finally decided to to ask and to go forward with the idea that I have, which was to actually reach out to these individuals, these independent professionals, and ask them about what they do. And so I created a survey and I launched that early in the spring of last year and uh, also started to have had a few conversations with people from in the interpretive field and in the environmental education field. And then I held uh, I had two roundtable converse, two roundtable sessions at two different conferences last year. And so it's been slowly building, reaching out and and learning about what other people do. And I have a survey tool, which has been very helpful to offer some background information. And so the survey really helped me confirm that my hunch that I acted on had some traction. You know, it gave me, gave my hunch some traction that I had some, there was something there. And so it was no longer a hunch. And so the survey was really the key thing that helped me continue the project. And what are your findings so far? My f- findings are that these educators are very uh, committed to working with their communities. They are not afraid of launching programs in their communities. Um, they work deeper in their communities than I thought or than I would have imagined. You know, one of the questions in my survey is, you know, what venues, what types of venues do you you work and you know I listed the usuals the usual places nature centers museums botanic gardens and that type of thing mm-hmm. and then had an other section there for them to write all the places where they where they work and I have so far 39 different venues and so that to me says that they are working deeper in communities than even I thought and I think that's fantastic and that alone can be its own own launching pad to you know, to even a, a deeper investigation and more conversation. Um, but I have most of my questions on my survey are open-ended questions. And so that has allowed the people who have uh, been very generous with their time and generous with sharing their stories with me uh, to reflect upon their own experiences. And so these open-ended questions have provided a wealth of information. My my plan for the next phase here is to bring this information out, to talk about this information and to, sh- and to share it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I understand you started the project because you wanted to learn what the freelance educators do and how they do what they do and how they communicate and also serve their communities. How, how are you now leveraging the learnings from this project to further, I guess, 
serve the community within your current work? My objective here with all, all of this is to bring attention to the work that they do, but also to, to promote the work that they do and to present them as reliable and professional sources of information. And so one way that I'm doing this is through the podcast. And so, you know, I spent many years writing, having written interviews with guests and talking about their work in written form. But it seems to me that to help bring these independent educators front and center and intention, I would need something more live. And uh, podcasting, I thought might do that. And it and it has done that. It, it gives these professionals a voice and it gives them an opportunity to speak in their own voice. And so that's what I'm doing through the podcast. Mm-hmm. And when did you start the podcast and what, uh, what is it called? It is called Talatera and it was launched in January of 2019. And uh, how does this, I guess, new way of uh, sharing content uh, help your listeners or the people you want to serve in the communities? What do you hear back? Uh, from the feedback I've received is listeners are really love learning about what other educators are doing. I think that it makes them feel that they aren't alone or they aren't the only one and they aren't the only ones having uh, struggling with different aspects of being a, a freelance educator because they're hearing others talk about the same type of, of struggles. Um, and they are inspired by other people's programs and the work that they do. The podcast is helping me do what I hope to accomplish, which is to form a network and to form a network of educators so that they are comfortable you know, with each other, that they are aware of what else is going on. And one of my objectives here is to you know, elevate the status of, of these professionals. Because, you know, when you're freelance in environmental ed, you are really flying underneath the radar. Uh, you're not an organization, you're not a nature center, you're not a museum, you're not a botanic garden. You're not, you're not a big entity with a, you know, an easy to find address, you know, you aren't, you aren't, you know, on the map per se. Mm-hmm. And resolving that is one of the things that I, that I aim to do. In one of your blogs, you uh, referenced one book, The Art of Relevance, and you talked about the book and then informal, uh, informal learning. What, uh, why did you like this book, The Art of Relevance? I have not read it. The Art of Relevance is, let's see, it was written by uh, Nina Simons, who was formerly from the, uh, the director of the museum in Santa Cruz. And now she's gone on to launch her own movement, the Of, of For All movement. And I was drawn to this book because, you know, um, making plants relevant well, my, my, my focus is always, I start with the plants because, you know, people don't know how to relate to plants. And so I was drawn to it from that said, oh, well, maybe there's something here that, that will help me explain this more. But really what I found out it, it to be is a book that helps you think about how to matter to more people. And she offers techniques about social bridging or how, or as she dis- describes it, how to build a bigger room through social bridging. Um, and she provides just lots of examples and they're examples from her own work. And so um, she teaches these techniques, she teaches her ideas by talking about her own experiences. And so it's not really a textbook in the sense that you learn how to do, you know, A, B, C, D, and this is how you do it. I mean, she she shares her own story. She's very open and generous and shares her own stories and, and the, you know, assumptions that she made in her, her career and when she was wrong and what that taught her. And it's just a very open, accessible book. 
Very nice. I will check it out because I'm, I'm uh, interested, of course, in social interaction and social bridges and all that. And I never, uh, well, I did not hear about it before I read your blog. So thank you for that. What is the most important decision you had to make in your learning journey? Like, was it a fork in the road or a defining moment? It was the fork in the road, shutting down what I had my previous endeavor and starting something new. I finally let it go. I hung on to it for a long, a long time. And, and, you know, the topics, the subjects that I covered in my previous endeavor aren't, uh, are still very much an interest of me. I mean, just look at my library, <laughs> but I knew that I needed to, to let it go to, to do something else. And I, and I also, in the meantime, had been f- this idea about, about uh, what other, you know, freelance educators do has been festering for a very long time. And so the fork in the road for me would be the moment I finally let the previous endeavor go and took this one on full time. Mm -hmm. And if we compare, I guess, before and after your sabbatical year and basically your previous work and the current project, what, uh, what's the biggest change for you? in the way you learn, you teach, and you do your work? The biggest change for me is the peer learning. It's um, the new posture that I have. It's knowing when I'm, I'm stuck, knowing when I'm in a dip. It is definitely the peer learning aspect of the past year and all the conversations I've been involved in. And Tanya, you and I have been involved in several projects, uh, sorry, workshops together. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm also mm-hmm. curious to know like the, the, what we call the peer learning and the peer support and coaching. Do you also have that directly within the community of the freelance educators? Not yet. Um, that is something that I, I would like to establish. And that is really what my, my summer sprint is about. And I know that from my survey that everyone would love a community, that that, that that is something that they want. And so my summer sprint is about establishing that because it's, I think that's, it's ready. Um, everyone's ready for that. Yeah, it's hard to, ex- it's hard to explain. It's just the, 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 the feeling that I that I have because when I talk to people about this idea or when I reach out, you know, they are so, well, one folks are amazed that you want to talk to them. Some of them, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, what, you want to talk to me? And, and, and I feel like I have to say, well, yeah, you know, don't you know, don't you see what you're doing? You know, don't you know what you have to offer? And people's responses to the episode so far is that they're ready to have a more, direct conversation with the other people who are who are like them mm-hmm. instead of just listening through through a medium or reading yeah. about it i think having an actual conversation is helpful because and also with my with the guests past guests you know they also the parts that don't make the final cut of the podcast you know we've had conversations about how it's an isolated experience you know working the way that we do mm-hmm. I think, Tanya, and what you talked about now resonates very much uh, with what I've experienced from a former corporate career into more of a freelance, I guess, professional. That is, mm-hmm. uh, is, is a, what you talked about, the, the connection and the support and, uh, and building that around us is, is uh, I don't know, 100 times more essential and vital today than it was in my former world because there was already a system but now there is no system like as you talked mm-hmm. about you know some some people work in a botanical garden some people work in a corporation some people work in a museum and now there are you know freelance educators or advisors or consultants but it's a completely different world because there is no system and it's almost like there is a need for this social system and connection so we can support each other it's like the uh, what i call like we need to belong it may not be the same system as we thought about it maybe you know with the industrial system or the some of these very well defined jobs 
but it's, we still need that kind of you know belonging to a community or a system that we can all support, learn from each other. Uh, what you just talked about, this is what reminded me of. Yes, yes, no, I, I agree. And, you know, and wh- when I start thinking about uh, what I call default systems, you know, default ways of being mm-hmm. and just transferring some model from that you're used so used to, did you barely even recognize it? And I always I stop and think. I've learned from the past year to stop and think. Is it, does it have to be this way? You know, what if it looked differently? And so that's what I'm working out. Is there anything that you've learned the hard way about how you learn or how you do your work or anything else? Oh, yes, that's easy. <laughs> I've lo- <laughs> what I've learned the hard way is, is changing my mind faster, uh, letting go faster, changing course faster. Um, it takes me way too long. I hang on to things way too long, way, way, way too long. And that's, that is what I've, I've learned. And I think I've gotten better at it, or at least I've gotten better with um, thinking about it, about seeing that type of a decision come towards me, you know, when it starts to appear on the horizon. Yeah, that, that's it. Learning how to act faster. And for someone who is not yet at the, at the stage of the journey you are, are there specific things one can do to like accelerate that or learn how to see these decisions and make these decisions? <laughs> now I would say, uh, I would suggest they read The Dip by Seth Godin. That would be one. Um, but, um, you know, it's it's hard because it's hard to see when you've fallen in love with your idea, you know, to such mm-hmm. an extent that you don't, you're not looking at it right, you know. I mean, you're doing well with it, and it's benefiting other people, but uh, you don't see the rest of it. You don't see the red flags when they pop up, you know, the little blips, you know, here and there, something will pop up, and you ignore it for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, so my advice would be to um, to not think that what you're working on is is for you to try to take yourself out of the equation, I guess, um, and 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 th- and think about it as a third party, and that's hard to do. And I don't know what to ex- how to get anybody to do that. But I guess I would guess I would just say, th- be careful and think about how much you've fallen in love with your idea because that will cause you problems. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful, Tanya. And it, I was surprised. I did not realize that uh, we had so much, um, I guess, similarity in terms of timing, because also I, I took my sabbatical year uh, in 2018 and a very similar timing that we attended the different workshops by Seth Godin. But also when I looked back now that I have done my reflection and I look back on when did I start seeing what I call some indications, like some some signs that like a change was on the way? It was back in 2015. Mm. And uh, I asked this question, and I think the way you answer it is the way that I would answer it too. I often think, is there a way that I could have accelerated that? Or I could have made a decision sooner than later, whatever the case is. And I don't know if there is. Uh, but what you talked about, you know, take yourself out of the equation. I like to call it like zoom out because we get we, we zoom in. We we live every day in our lives and our work and everything we have to do, and that you, it's a, it's inevitable, right? So like give, I would have given myself space and like try to zoom out, more intentional. Mm-hmm. Like I I think I am learning to do that now. It's not it is not easy. No, it's not easy, and you know. I wouldn't, I might not have pulled out, even though I knew it, you know, you know, in your gut, you know, something's up and you need change needs to be made. And I have to credit Michael Gerber for this, uh, because one of the key lessons, and I think about it all the time, is one of the things that he said in our conversation I had with him was, 
uh, about my plant-based education focus was think botany and you're screwed. And, and he meant a lot of things uh, by that. Um, and that got me to s- step back and to look and see what I really had going on. And, uh, we, you know, what my intentions were, what I really wished would happen and what wasn't happening. And so it was that abrupt st- statement yeah. um, that helped me, helped me take a step back and really look at what was going on. Tanya, what is uh, one thing that you would like to leave your mark on within your lifetime? Mm-hmm. What I would like to leave a mark on is that there is learning and connection and communication that happens well beyond, well outside organizations, uh, professional organizations and you know museums, nature centers, and those types of physical locations um, that, that needs to to be, I think, articulated and understood. And so if I can do something that makes what happens within the communities um, understandable, measurable, even if it can be measurable, I don't know that it can be measurable, um, then I would be happy with that. Because people, so much of their life learning happens outside of the classroom. I think that needs to be described. And as topics as important to everybody as the environment and nature and and humans' relationship, people's relationship with nature, I think that's a big topic. And if I could leave some type of mark on understanding what happens uh, when people are exploring personal interests, learning about things on their own, having experiences while on vacation when, you know, they're out out and about in the world with no intention of learning anything, you know, but still they have these spontaneous moments of, these spontaneous educational moments. If I could somehow articulate what goes on uh, at, at those types of moments, then, uh, then I'd be, I'd be happy. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought now as you were talking about it, I thought of your, uh, of your podcast and some of the stories I've heard. I think this is exactly what you're doing. You're telling these stories that, you know, resonate with different people because there are different stories, different experiences. That, uh, mm-hmm. Some of them, as you said, you know, like uh, they, they, can, they cannot necessarily or they cannot always be intentional. They just happen, but we need to allow for these opportunities and experiences to, I guess, to, to come to us or we need to go after them. We, we never know what can, in, we cannot be very specific on what it's going to be, but it's an experience that we can create for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also to value the people who, who do that, specifically the independent educators yeah. who, mm-hmm. who, who do that, who are taking initiatives. They are literally people who are picking themselves to work within their communities, develop programs, and maybe they don't have, a, you know, a CV, you know, a mile long. Maybe they haven't published in all sorts of publications. Maybe they don't have a PhD, and maybe they don't have lots of things that by other academic standards, you know, they people are judged by. Uh, they need to, I think that these individuals... Um, need to be taken seriously. And if I could help uh, bring that spotlight to their work, then then that would be just wonderful. Then, um, you know, because that's what this is all about. You know, who are these people who are picking themselves and creating change all by themselves because they see that it needs to be done? Who are they? And they need to be valued and need to be considered, I think, as they need to be considered as community partners. You know, there may not be a 501c3, but it doesn't mean that they don't have anything to offer and can't make significant change. So that's what I'd like to, that's what I'm trying to bring attention to and 
And if that uh, type of attention continues after I leave the planet, then that'd be great. Before I, I ask my final question, is there any other topic about your work, about your learning experience, or anything else you would like to talk about? Um, I think when I'm looking back, uh, my, work, my interest in interpretation and working outside of the classroom, you know, as I mentioned, really started when I was... At a, at my at a community college, and uh, I was helping to maintain the zoology lab then, and I did classroom visits back then. I would take the animals out to the classrooms and do and do little interpretive programs, kind of naturalist in the classroom type programs. And I would have never guessed, so many years later, that it would influence. You know, that what I do now and what I have been doing, even with my previous venture, was really rooted in that experience. I guess you never know, you never know what experience you have that is going to really impact your life, really leave an impression. Yeah, it's amazing how one small experience or something that we just do because that's what we do. Mm-hmm. Open, as you said, opens up a new door or creates new ideas or lead, leads us down a different path. And then we see, you know, when we look back, we can connect the dots. But of course, when it's happening, it's just one, one additional thing we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you know what, Tanya, this could be, again, thinking about uh, what you, you talked about, the impact you want to have, but also uh, teach others or tell the stories of how people can have different experience in nature. This could be what I call like small triggers and small experiences, but they can make, you know, down the road, they can change uh, someone's path or they can create a very different experience. Yeah. 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 I can, when I look back, I know I can see a couple of different, you know, small triggers. And, you know, after I transferred to a four-year school, I, I uh, took cartography. It was respite between... Ochem, organic chemistry and physics, okay? But I've always liked always liked maps, and so I took cartography. And I also took a children's literature class, you know, for, for, the, for that reason, because it was an interest. And, you know, the children's literature, in hindsight, I think, oh, look at that. That was a, now that you mentioned the word trigger, that is a trigger for the bookstore and for yeah. the children's education. And then the, the cartography, I know what triggered that interest, and that was one time we went to the family, went to the Huntington Library when I was small, and one of the galleries had this old, this beautiful old globe, and on this globe were sea monsters. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that, tr- that started my whole interest in, in maps, and then I took cartography. And, you know, actually, about four or five years ago or so, I... Um, I went to the to a couple conferences to learn from people who uh, who I know who work with um, herbals and medicinal medicinal plants researchers. Mm-hmm. And one of the sessions I went to uh, at the um, History of Science conference was about sea monsters and about how they were portrayed in 15th century books, <laughs> books from the 15th century. Yeah, and so yeah, so yeah, all these different things come together yeah thank you for sharing that was very that was lovely (laughs) Uh, where can our listeners find you and learn from you Uh, the website uh, I would like um, I would like listeners to learn from the people I interview from the from the educators and so the web the show's website is talatera.com and on that website there's a link to my personal site which has my other projects but definitely talatera.com i would direct people there thank you thank you tanya it was wonderful uh talking with you and learning from you Uh, thank you so much oh well thank you maria i hope you found this episode useful if you enjoy listening to impact learning 
I would appreciate if you would share it with your friends who are interested in the future of learning and work. You could also leave us a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform. A new episode of Impact Learning will be published every Thursday. Thanks for listening. And remember, we can talk about learning, we can design it, or we can do both. This is Impact Learning. I'm your host, Maria Zenidu. Till next time.